Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest concludes with part nine of his teaching on the book of Ephesians. All right, today we're going to talk about Ephesians. This is Ephesians part nine, and this is the last installment of the series on the book of Ephesians. Chapter six is the last chapter, and it's filled with practical instructions on how to live our lives for God. So let me begin by saying this that the terminology clergy or layman is not found in the book of Ephesians or anywhere else in Scripture. So what does that tell you? In this chapter, Paul makes it clear that no matter what we're called to do in this life, we're all called to the full-time ministry. Amen? We may not all be called to a five-fold ministry, but we can take the Word of God into our world, into our circle of influence. Amen? Starting in the home, we're called to be godly fathers, godly mothers, and godly children. Amen. In the workforce, all types of people need to be reached, so God has called His people into all kinds of vocations, all kinds of professions. God wants His people to minister to doctors, nurses, lawyers, bankers, teachers, engineers, and scientists, men and women in the military, building contractors, craftsmen, salesmen, laborers, employees, and employers of all kinds. Amen? Isn't that right? So the first nine verses of Ephesians chapter 6 exhort us to follow after God no matter where we are in life, whether we're children, parents, employers, or employees. Amen? So the first section, I've called it Follow After God, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 9. Let's begin with verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know, we learned last week in chapter 5 that believers are called to submit to one another and wives are called to submit to their husbands. And we talked about what that looks like and what that means. But children, especially young children, They don't know enough to know what submission is all about. So they're told to just obey their parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know, one day they'll gain the understanding and the wisdom and the knowledge to understand why you tell them not to do something. But until that day happens, they just need to follow your instructions and obey your word. Okay? For their own personal safety, amen? When they get a little bit older, you know, they'll understand. And I want to caveat that by saying just because they don't understand doesn't mean you can't explain it to them. I think you should uh, tell the kid why he has to do such and such, why he has to obey his mother or father, and then tell them why, even though they may not understand it, because one day they will, amen? And they'll gain an understanding of, you know, my mom and dad really do care about me. They really do have my best interest at heart. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 2 says, again, talking about children, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Amen. Uh, This kind of obedience brings the blessing that's contained in the next verse which is a quotation from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. So you read it like this. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, 
that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. So it's a, it's a commandment that contains a promise if you obey the commandment. Amen? Children, it is in your best interest to obey your parents, to honor your mother and father, because if you do, you will live a long and prosperous life. Amen? Hallelujah. Even when you get older and you're not called to submit to your parents any longer, you're out on your own, you can still find ways to honor your father and mother. Amen? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now this verse is actually talking to parents in general, Parents should never discipline their children in anger. Now, we've all done it. All parents have done it. But it's really not the best way to do things. Discipline them in love, not in anger. Amen. All right. Also, again, I say parents should never discipline or correct without some kind of explanation as to why. Like I said, they may not always understand but at least attempt to explain it to them, and one day they will understand. How many parents know exactly what I'm talking about? Amen. Glory. Verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Now, most of the civilized world on planet Earth today has been cleared of the scourge of slavery. Amen? So, the modern day equivalent that we can take from this verse is employers and employees. Amen? So, if you would, just make that shift mentally when you read uh, Masters and Slaves because that's not something we have to relate to today. Glory to God. Amen? Those days are over. That sin has been dealt with in America and most of the civilized nations of the world. So servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. So you could read it like this. Employees, be obedient to them that are your employers according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Listen, Christian employees should be the best and the hardest working employees in the entire world. Amen? Because you represent Jesus on the job, whether you realize it or not. You should approach your job as if the Lord Jesus Christ is your boss. Now, the guy that's your boss may not act and walk and talk like Jesus, but nevertheless, you should do your job as unto the Lord. Amen? However, you only need to obey your boss according to the flesh. The verse says, this means to obey them in the natural course of your job. You should never obey them if they tell you to do something that's not godly or sinful. Say, sorry, sir, I can't do that. It's like we talked about last week, the concept of an unlawful order. Uh, when I was a military officer, we were taught to obey lawful orders. But if somebody said, go blow up this village and kill all these women and children. You do not have to obey an unlawful order. You could say, sir, I cannot obey that order. 
I want to take this to a higher rank in appeal because I'm not doing that and neither are the men that follow me. It's an unlawful order. Same thing kind of applies in the employment realm. Your boss tells you to do something ungodly. You say, listen, I'm going to put in a good day's work for you. I'm not going to talk bad about you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to work hard for you, but I'm not going to do something that's ungodly or sinful. Hopefully, nobody's ever encountered that on the workforce, but these days, you know, you never know. Amen. Hallelujah. And then verse 6 says, you should be obedient and a good worker, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Amen. Not with eye service means that you should work just as hard when the boss is looking as when the boss is not looking. You know, in my world, in the military, we call that integrity. Integrity is doing the right thing whether somebody's watching or not. Okay? That's the kind of employee that you need to be. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Not with eye service, but in reality, they can trust you 24-7 even if you're not monitored to do the right thing. Amen. And if you need a raise or a promotion, there's no need to butter up the boss with needless flattery. Okay? Most of the time, they can smell it a mile away, you know, that they're being buttered up. No. You're better off just not trying to be a man pleaser, but trying to please the Lord. Again, work as unto the Lord. If you work hard, keep your attitude right. Don't talk about the boss, man. You will eventually be promoted. It may not happen on that job, but listen, if they're treating you unjustly on that job and you're working hard, you're not talking about the boss, you're walking in integrity, God will take you from that job and he'll give you another higher paying job and he'll give you a promotion one way or the other. It pays to work as unto the Lord and not just unto a man. You see what I'm saying? Glory to God. Verse 7. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. The Greek word translated goodwill comes from uh, basically, I don't want to tell you the name of the Greek word because I can't pronounce it. Goodwill comes from a word which means loyal enthusiasm. So be loyal to your employer. Keep your mind on your job. Again, as unto the Lord and not unto a man or a woman. Verse 8. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So whether you're an employer or an employee, when you do a good deed, the Lord will see to it that you're rewarded. Amen? Amen. Verse 9. And ye masters do the same thing unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Can you say amen? Christian employers should treat their workers better than any other employers. If you're an employer, avoid threatening your employees and never play favorites. Treat all your workers with equality and respect. Keep in mind that in the eyes of the Lord, Everyone is equal with him. Amen? No one person is better than another. 
Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus, for that. All right. So pressing on to verses 10 through 17. Verses 10 through 17 describe the spiritual battle that we're called to fight as believers. And it talks about the weapons of war that have been given unto us so that we can fight the good fight. Amen? This section is called Weapons for War. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 17. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I love that. I broke it down in the Greek. This verse transitions us to the final portion of the book of Ephesians. If you remember way back when we started this series, we started with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about ministry gifts that are available to the body of Christ. And finally, to how the body should operate in the world. The remaining verses in this chapter summarize how believers in all walks of life must learn to be effective witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what you're calling, no matter what your vocation, you're called to be a witness. The word strong in the Greek is the word endunamu. That's a fun word to say. Endunamu, which means to empower. And the word power comes from the Greek word kratos, which means ruling or dominating strength or power. So put them all together and we could read verse 10 like this. Finally, my brethren, be empowered by the Lord and in the dominating strength of his might. Did you know you have dominating strength on the inside of you? You're supposed to exercise dominion in life. You're supposed to be above and not beneath, the head and not the tail. Amen? Glory to God. Gets me all jazzed to think about it. You are a conqueror. In, in fact, the Bible says you are more than a conqueror through Christ who loved you. You are a conqueror, but you are a uber conqueror. That's German for super. Uberman is what they call Superman. But you are an uber, not an uber that you catch to go to the restaurant. But you are an uber conqueror, more than a conqueror, a super conqueror in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, just had a little bit of fun with that. All right, and that empowerment that's being talked about in verse 10 is given so you can be an effective witness and so that you can crush the enemy wherever and whenever you encounter him. Amen. You don't run from the enemy. You crush the enemy under your feet. That has to be your mindset. These days, darkness is looming over the nation of America, and we need to know we have enemy-crushing power on the inside of us. We have dominating strength and the might of the Lord on the inside of us. There's nothing that can come our way that we can't handle in the power of God. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Amen. So verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We need to put on the complete armor of God to be able to stand against the strategies of the enemy. Obviously, these are military terms and they're being used because he's trying to paint a picture of military, mortal conflict or warfare. What he's trying to do, he's trying to impress upon the believer 
that even though the fight we fight is a spiritual one, it is still a savage and a brutal one, and it's one that we have to, we have to win. It, it is a battle we have to engage in. It's a battle we have to fight and win. The stakes are too high for us to just take a loser-victim mentality. You're not a loser in Christ. You're not a victim in the Lord. You are a super conqueror, victorious in Him. Greater is He that is in you than he that's in the world. There's no force or power in this world that can come against you. God told Joshua in the first chapter of Joshua, He said, listen, wherever you place the sole of your feet, I have given that land to you and no one will ever be able to stand against you. Why don't Christians have that mentality? Wherever I go, if God called me to go there, every demon, every obstacle will be overcome, will be crushed beneath my feet. That is a conqueror's attitude, and that's the attitude we as believers need to have. Amen. Glory to God. Didn't plan on saying that. Won't charge anything extra for it, but that's good. Hallelujah. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Hallelujah. Glory to God. To stand in the sense of this verse, it's also a military term. Uh, we would call it occupy. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, 13, he said this through a parable to his followers. I want you after I leave, I want you to occupy until I come again. Amen. And occupy in a military sense means to Take ground from the enemy and hold it. Amen. Don't relinquish it. Take ground, hold it until the Lord comes again. Amen. How many of your Christian brothers and sisters do you know that have that kind of attitude? I am kicking behind and taking names and crushing the enemy and occupying these lands until my Lord Jesus comes back. You don't hear people talking like that because they don't have that kind of mindset. But I do. Thank God I had 30 years in the military to put that in me. Okay? But Paul is using military terms here on purpose because it is a fight and a fight that we are well equipped to win. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Amen. This is a spiritual battle that is fought with spiritual weapons. Amen. Verse 12 basically is a breakdown of the hierarchy of the demonic kingdom that operates in our atmosphere. Amen. Principalities comes from a word which means demons and familiar spirits which possess and oppress certain individuals. Powers are the demonic authorities over these lower level principalities. Rulers of the darkness of this world are the demonic spirits that influence kings and presidents and prime ministers, etc., etc. Spiritual wickedness in high places are the most powerful and they exercise influence over entire nations. So this is the hierarchy of the enemy that we face. Amen. Verse 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, this seems pretty similar to verse 11, 
where it said, put on the whole armor of God. Here it says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. I think the difference is, in 11, he's saying, put on the armor of God. In verse 13, he's saying, put the armor to use. I had a vision years ago. And in this vision, I was sitting at a table, and I had a suit of armor on. And it was gold and silver. It was beautiful. And I'm sitting there, and I've got a terry cloth and some oil, and I'm polishing my armor in this vision. It was magnificent. And I heard the Lord say, are you going to sit there and polish your armor, or are you going to put it to use? I was like, okay. Get up and use your defensive armor to ward off the attack of the enemy and use your offensive ability to take the fight to the enemy. Amen? Glory to God. So I woke up out of the vision. I said, Lord, I'll never do that again. <laughs> I have, I've got armor, and it's beautiful. And I'm polishing my breastplate of righteousness and all this other stuff. And the Lord said, yeah, it's pretty, but you need to get in there and get it dinged up and get into the battle and get after it. Use that armor. Use that sword that's laying on the table there. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I know God speaks to me in blunt terms sometimes. What are you doing polishing your armor? Get up and use it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. All right, so verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Amen. Hallelujah. So put it to work. Put it to use. Listen, having done all is from a Greek word, which means something on the inside working its way out. So having done all to stand means stand there and work what's on the inside of you to the outside of you. Now, we as believers are called to fill ourselves with the word of God and fill ourselves with the spirit of God continually. Isn't that right? So that when you're attacked, you got something on the inside that you can work to the outside that acts like armor and warts off the attack of the enemy. So it presupposes that you put something in there in the first place so it's there when you need it. That's why you need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why you need to live and breathe the Word of God because you never know when you're going to need it. You know, in the military, you train and train and train and train for one battle. I mean, you might train for years and never see actual combat. But because you train and train and train, you put something on the inside that's there when you need it when the real battle happens. Amen? Glory to God. I hope I'm getting through to you. All right. Praise the Lord. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, having your loins girt about with truth, that's kind of King Jamesian, but basically, it's basically saying, you know, Put on the belt of truth. And we all know that Jesus said in John 17, 17, he said, Lord, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So Jesus said to the father in John 17, 17, that the word of God was the ultimate source of truth in the universe. Amen. So the word of God is how you put on your armor and the word of God is how you stabilize and hold it all in place. Amen? It's a belt of truth. Hallelujah. 
And then the breastplate of righteousness. Listen, you have to have a knowledge that righteousness lives on the inside of you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Did you hear that? I like to think about it like this. He made him to be what we were so we could be what he is. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, always be aware that you're righteous on the inside. One third of your being is as righteous and holy as God. As hard as it is to get our arms around that, it is a fact. And you need to know that and you need to confess that over yourself. Because, listen, the devil will come and when you mess up, when you you know, hit your thumb with the hammer or things like that and something other than tongues comes out of your mouth. You know, the devil or one of his henchmen is going to be there to say, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't have used a word like that. You need to respond like this. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if I missed it, his blood has washed it clean away. Amen. Glory to God. A minor example, but you get the point. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This means we should be always ready to go wherever and whenever the Lord tells us to, to minister the gospel to anyone, anytime, anywhere. The gospel of reconciliation. Amen. That's in 2 Corinthians 5.18. Jesus reconciled God to man, and now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, which is telling everybody, listen, God's not mad at you anymore. All the sin of the world has been taken care of. God is for you. He wants to be in you. He wants to be with you. Amen? The gospel is very, very simple. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He's got a plan for your life. You know, that's really all you need to tell people. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. We got to go up to warp nine here. I'm looking at the clock. We got quite a few verses to go. All right. Verse 16. Above all, take in the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. This actually means flaming arrows of the enemy. You got a shield that's able to stop the flaming arrows that evidently are coming at you all the time. Now, it's modeled, all of this armor we've been talking about is modeled after Roman armor. And if you know your Roman history, the Roman shield was, looked like a door. And it was pretty much big enough that you could crouch down and hide your entire body behind it. So the shield of faith, think about it, is able to protect you body, soul, and spirit. Amen. It, it covers you completely. You see the flaming arrows coming. All you got to do is say, put the shield up, crouch down a little bit, and then go, blow them out, break them off. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I know, I got to have sound effects with my stuff. Our faith should rest in the fact that the shield we have, if used properly, will extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy that come our way. All right, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet protects the head 
which is the seat of the soul. Your mind, your will, your emotions. And let me tell you, the helmet's important because the battle is in the mind. That's where the battlefield rages. Amen. Hallelujah. Your spirit man's already righteous and holy as God. Your body wants to do right, but unless the soul tells it to, it's going to follow the flesh. The soul needs to be renewed to the word of God. James said you need to receive the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. What do you mean? I thought this letter from James was to Christians. He's not talking about your spiritual salvation. He's talking to born again people. He's talking to born again, spirit filled people. He's saying once you're born again, there's more than your spirit that has to be saved. Now you got to save your soul. And the answer to that is engraft the word to your soul. Take a skin graft from the Word of God and apply it to your brain, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Amen? That's what's being said. Make it a part of your soul so it affects your soul. And so now you're on board spirit and soul and two against one. The body has to obey the dictates of the spirit and the soul if they're in unity according to the Word and the Spirit. Amen? Hallelujah. This is all stuff you guys know. I see everybody's kind of silently shaking your heads. But listen, we got to get through this. You might hear something today that you've never heard before. Amen. Hallelujah. So. Glory to God. Verse 17 leads to verse 18. I've already preached way ahead of my notes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Now we're going to transition into the life of prayer, which is described in Ephesians Chapter 6, verse 18 through 24. Here Paul makes it clear that we have to back up all of our actions of spiritual combat with a foundation of prayer. Prayer prepares us for the battles ahead, storing in us the things that we will need when we come under attack. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching there unto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. A better translation would say it this way. On every occasion, pray with all kinds of prayer and at all times in the Spirit. Remember from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 when Paul says in the Spirit, he's talking about praying in tongues. Amen. And although I know it's possible to pray in English in the Spirit, Surely, a broader definition of praying in the Spirit would include English prayers or prayers in your native language and prayers in your prayer language. Amen? So Paul is saying, pray at all times with all kinds of prayer, and if you need to, pray in the Spirit. Amen? Listen, we don't have time to teach on it, but there are different types of prayer, intercession, petition, consecration, thanksgiving, and worship, for example. They're to be used when appropriate. Sometimes it can be done in our native tongue, but many times you need to yield to the Spirit and pray in tongues. Verse 19, And for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now this verse makes it clear that we need to pray for our spiritual leaders that they might boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many know there's a lot of wimpy preachers out there that preach a watered-down gospel. Listen, Paul is saying, pray that your preacher not be like that. 
Pray that he boldly declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, Trish and I, we need your prayers. You could not imagine the pressure that a pastor and his wife come under even in a small church like this. And so we covet your prayers. And what I want you to do is pray, Father God, we pray that Scott and Trish will receive boldness to boldly preach the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what's coming against them. No matter what people say about them, we pray that their faith will not fail and they will stand fast in the Lord. Pray that for us. Amen. And then as you're led of the Lord, pray for other leaders in the body of Christ. There are men and women out there that are doing great work for the Lord and worthy of your prayer support. But if you would, please, if you're a member of this congregation, start with us. Pray for us. We need your prayers. Amen. Glory to God. All right. So verse 20 says, the reason I want you to pray for me for boldness is because for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So even though it landed Paul in prison, he's still praying for more boldness. It kind of reminds me of Acts chapter 4 over there in verse 29 where Peter and John got the lame man at the beautiful gate that got him healed and they got called before the Sanhedrin and they got threatened, basically threatened, if you read between the lines, threatened with crucifixion if they didn't stop preaching in the name of Jesus. So they went back to their prayer closet and they basically said, Lord, behold their threatenings and give us more boldness. In other words, we got in hot water because we were bold and now we want more boldness so we can get in more hot water because we're going to preach boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the attitude we need to have. Amen. Even if it lands you in prison, praise God, I'm going to boldly preach the word of God. All right, so verse 21 begins sort of the salutation phase of the letter and things begin to wind up. But that ye also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Verse 23, Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. All right, so just so you know, Tychicus was one of the ones who delivered the letter to the Ephesians. And Paul basically said, listen, I'm in prison, but when Tychicus comes to see you, he's going to tell you that I'm doing just fine. All right. And then he ends the letter with an attitude of love. Even though he's in prison, he still cares for the saints and ends his letter with faith, love, grace, and peace. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Now, let me just summarize by saying this. I know it's taken us a long time to get through the book of Ephesians. And uh, most of us word of faith types, we're not really used to exegetical teaching. But I think we need more of it in the body of Christ. Topical is fine. It's what I do best. But the Lord told me to cut my teeth on Ephesians and maybe Colossians next. So from time to time, we will do some more exegetical type teaching. And again, I, I defined that $25 word last week. 
it just means a verse-by-verse exhaustive study, which is what we did with the book of Ephesians. Now, it took us a long time to get through. We broke it into sections, and we spanned a long time. We started in May, and now we're ending here in August. But it's been worth it, and it's been an absolute pleasure for me. I want to remind you that uh, I will post part 7 through 9 on the website. Part 1 through 6 are already there so that uh, the entire series, part 1 through 9, all the notes will be there that you can download. Okay, And listen, if you really want to get into an in-depth study of the book of Ephesians, what you can do is you can print out these notes, open up your Bible, listen to the podcast one after another, and go through the whole thing. I promise it will be worth your while if you spend some time digging in the book of Ephesians, especially chapter 1 through 3, which is all about who we are in Christ and what we have in Him. Amen? All right. All right, so I'll leave those nuts up there for about a month, and uh, please take advantage of these resources. It won't cost you anything except for the ink and the paper to print these notes out. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. We hope you enjoyed the conclusion of Dr. Forrest's teaching on the Book of Ephesians. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, 10.30 for worship and service, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for spirit-filled prayer. If you would like to learn more about us, access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, and find Dr. Forrest's in-depth teaching notes, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. <laughs>